You're listening to the Law and Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the difficult questions where business and the law intersect to help you run a smarter business and avoid costly mistakes. Brought to you by Verna Law PC, a full-service law firm focusing on patents, trademarks, copyrights, domain names, and advertising law. For more information, call 914-908-6757 or send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com for more information all right everyone welcome to the law and business podcast where we continue with our quest <laughs> to talk more about intellectual property it law. is a journey i have to agree <laughs> <laughs> when i litigate it's I know a lot of litigants are looking for, for that instant response, and it's not an instant response. It's a long journey. When people file a trademark, they want that instant response, but it's not an instant response. It's it's a 6, 12, 24-month journey. When we file a patent, it's not it's, <laughs> an instant response. Uh, I, I have to agree with you, Anthony. It's certainly not. And, and the first question that comes out of my inventor's mouths are, can I get a patent on this? <laughs> well, we'll have to see. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. So this is Anthony Verna. I'm here with Will Jakes, a patent agent for Verna Law. And we're talking about today what happens when somebody calls our office and says, I have an idea. (laughs) This is the foundation. This is where it begins. So when a client tells me or a potential client tells me, I have an idea. After I ask what the idea is, I then ask, what's your business plan? Because ultimately, after everything we're going to talk about, I want a client to be able to say, yes, I want to make money on this and I want to sell it and it's going to be sold to people uh, of X ages, Y incomes, and they're going to have a need for this product because enter your reason here. Agreed. If I don't hear that, I'm going to try to do some little coaching and counseling so I can get some answers like that, just to kind of plant ideas in in the head. And, and you know, it's something that I do with a lot of clients instinctively. Sometimes I'll just like say, are you selling it on your website? And and they'll show me the website and they'll show me their Facebook page. It shows, you know, so I said, can I take a look at your social? And then I say, oh, hey, have you thought about doing this on your social? Have you thought about doing this on Facebook, this on Twitter? I mean, why don't you have X, Y, and Z on your, on your website? I mean, so we're business people as well as our clients, <laughs> and we want you to be successful in business. So my first question is, what's your business plan? And then we get to the intellectual property. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so... The first thought that we're going to have, is this a product, is this an idea that deserves patent protection? And Will, what are some of the the highlights that we're looking for when we say, get a patent on this product? Yeah, you know, it's it's something that a lot of people are a little confused about. Uh, and they go, can I get a patent? And I, you know, kind of look at them and I say, well, it kind of depends. Uh, <laughs> See, you're already learning yeah, to be a yeah. good lawyer, even though you're not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It depends. It depends. And you can get lost in, you know, should I file a provisional patent versus a non-provisional patent? And, oh, what are plant patents? And what are design patents? And so on and so forth. And I go, well, let's talk first about What's your business? <laughs> to kind of uh, reiterate your point. So when the client comes and they say, I have an idea, my first job 
is to kind of distill that idea into, is it something that provides a new, unobvious utility, usefulness to the art in which it's being placed? It could be a toy. It could be a medical device for the dispense of a new kind of therapy. It could be a new uh, way of looking at refractory on a, on a phone screen. So the question becomes, what does it provide? Does it provide something that is useful? And once we kind of get past that, then we want to know, okay, because it's not either or, it could be both. Do you offer something in terms of a unique design or look? Mm -hmm. Let me take a step back here because I'm curious about this phrase, the new unobvious utility. When an inventor is looking for a patent in a, in a product or whatever that invention might be, how do we know that it's new? <laughs> and I know, I know it's a loaded, it's a fun loaded word. I know, I know. But how can we distill what is new under our patents? Most inventors already have an idea of where to go at with this question because when they walk through the door and they call us, Anthony, they go, <laughs> I've not seen this anywhere. Yes. Which then forms the basis of the statute and the law that we work under, which is, well, even though you haven't seen it, doesn't mean it doesn't not, say does it, it, right. it doesn't exist. So what we want to do is to actually search. And that search will entail looking at any kind of a reference, typically, but I'll name a few. Sure. There are patents. Okay. There are published patent applications. Okay. It may be journals that describe your invention to some degree. It could even be other non-patented literature, pictures, videos, but anything where I see the subject matter of your invention, eh, so to speak, in action, Okay. Could be, could be prior art. Hence, your idea is not new. Okay. So in doing that patent search, mm -hmm. you are looking for as many keywords as possible from what a client says is, is an, in an invention. Boy, that's easy to, to say. <laughs> um, are you looking for concepts? What, what are you looking for okay, in, this in that is, patent search? This is what I'm looking for. And actually, you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the claims of a patent are essentially come down to unique elements of, of the patent. And then I'll give a couple of examples. Let me say a prior art reference be it patent or, or some other kind of documentation, may show elements of the invention or elements of, mm -hmm. of the idea A, B, and C. But what you've come to me with is something that is A, B, C, and D. And what I now have to determine is whether or not D is unique. D obviously sets forth additional elements to your, your claimed invention right. or to your proposed claimed invention, which in itself may be patentable, assuming that it's not obvious. Okay, let me give an example. Erasers were in invented. And this is one that comes straight out of the training course for, for uh, patent uh, practitioners. So I have a pencil which was wood with lead in it for writing. And then I had an eraser in the old days that sat on the side. And when you made a mistake, you picked up your eraser, you erased it. The newness of the invention was to take the elements of the wooden case lead, you know, in the eraser and set the eraser on top. And so you combine elements that already existed, but that is new. Just that simple idea. 
So, so in the example that you're giving, the newness mm -hmm. is the joining of two already existing products. It could be, you know, it could be the joining of something right. that really was discovered. It was a discovery and something we hadn't known before. The issue is we hadn't known it before. Right. And there was no suggestion that those things should have been put together. You know, going back to law school, the example for my patent law class, one of these classic examples was headphones. There are big, gigantic headphones, and those big, gigantic headphones were in use in recording studios, in radio studios, in uh, airplanes, mm -hmm. big, gigantic headphones. And then when we started to be able to miniaturize headphones, mm -hmm. the patents on the miniaturization were first deemed, those applications were not deemed valid because, well, what's the difference? All it is is the same thing, just small. <laughs> but there's a utility in that miniaturization. There's new technology in that miniaturization. Mm -hmm. And of course, obviously, there are big improvements in that miniaturization. A absolutely. One, one, one must always take into account that, you know, in, in the newness of a thing, you know, uh, typically you're right. Uh, size <laughs> doesn't matter. No joke. Uh, uh, jokes might, <laughs> to the audience. Oh, bad but, jokes are always Yeah, wrong. yeah, okay. But, but, <laughs> but what, we're, what we're, we're getting at is patents also have the element of processes. And so the huge, large headphones may have had one way of being manufactured that was totally different from the way that one would manufacture the smaller miniaturized headsets. Hence, we're looking at a process of bringing this utility into play. The other thing is the components. Even though we may say it was just a matter of size, it may not be obvious how to take a mega-size uh, foam-filled headphone and bring it down to something that doesn't quote-unquote cover the air, right? but goes into the air. Correct. Again, new, useful, utility, potentially patentable. Now, let's let's talk about something that doesn't have a utility. And obviously now we're talking about a design patent. Mm -hmm. So apart from a design patent not having utility, when somebody calls and says, I need a design patent, I always wonder how they know they need a design patent rather than, <laughs> than a utility patent. But what are we looking at in order to get that design patented? Which, I, I, the rest of the world doesn't even call it a design patent. It's only an American phrase. Yes, it, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is truly a, a term of art uh, in America. But I think people come to you knowing already that, okay, I've seen this action, this enablement, this utility before in terms of, let, let's say it was a, a fire hydrant or something like that. I'm, you know, I want to bring water out and the idea of how we pump and bring water out is not something that is new. However, outside of all of the things we've invented, how do we screw it? How do we unlock it? How do we get the pressure right. to move? One may actually have come up with a design that looks different, that blends, let's say, with the environment. What you know, One could say that what's new and original is the ornamentation. Absolutely. I agree. Rather than the utility. Rather than the utility, even though it is the design is a design for an article that sure. itself already has some utility, but it is not the utility that we're after. What we're after is that new and ornamental uh, design. A sneaker is a sneaker is a sneaker, but let me tell you, we make millions 
hundreds of millions of dollars every day through different brands of sneakers. Why? Because they look different. Understood Mm -hmm. completely. And just to hop on the back of design patents, Mm -hmm. because copyright law is another area that we want to have our clients look at. And when we talk about the difference between a design patent and what a copyright protects, it's this. The copyright is protecting any original work of authorship that has been fixed in a tangible medium of expression. And so we can easily say something like, say, a bike rack that is abstract art. And and by the way, the, the city of Quebec recently put out a whole bunch of bike racks and they are all pieces of art. So go Google that because they're fascinating to yeah, look at. To see that. But there's a utility in each, each of these because they're bike racks. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of this that is not utility either. And that would be the artwork portion of it. So while you can yeah. take your bike, you can take your bike and you can strap it there. Mm-hmm. So you would you say that something like this could easily fall under a design patent? And then the copyright, because there's an artistic side yes. to it. Yes. So you yes. have the design patent because there's an ornamentation to something useful, mm-hmm. but there's also a, an artistic side to it, which is a work of somebody's. It is an, an authorship. Yeah. And just to be clear, idea. what we're talking about here is is something that is from today moving forward because we understand how bike racks work yes. already. And so the idea of uh, any other sort of patent is precluded. But the design patent is still available to you if you come up with something that is ornamentally unique. And to your point about the copyrights, it's one of those things that as a patent agent, I never really understood <laughs> what was the need uh, for the copyright. Right. In addition uh, to the design patent, but well, you've enlightened it, it, me. It, you know, explain a little bit more. Sure. Well, first off, not everything that qualifies for design patent is going to qualify under copyright law, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are works that that fall under copyright law that are musical works, literary works. Mm-hmm. Really, truly, copyright law is about works of authorship. And the reason why I'm able to bring up this this Venn diagram that has a sliver that design patents and copyright overlap is because there are going to be some articles that have a useful side and a non-useful side. And I think the traditional idea under copyright law would be a statue that has a, a lamp mm-hmm. that's also a lamp. And so the light bulb is on top of the statue. Mm-hmm. I, I always say that that I grew up with my, my grandparents who had a lamp that had a statue. And like my parents even had it Everybody refinished. Everybody had a grandparent that had a statue with a lamp on top. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, yes. but that's, the, <laughs> that's the classic example yes. is that you have a portion of this product mm-hmm. that falls under copyright law because there is a statue and that statue is a work of authorship. It's mm-hmm. a 3D visual work. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of this that is useful yeah. because it, it's a lamp. And so in that, you know, in something like that, you can make an easy split between what is not useful because mm-hmm. a statue is a statue. It's not useful under copyright law. It's mm-hmm. not useful under patent law. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see what is useful, the light. Right. <laughs> and so there's that easy mind split. So when we talk about the bike rack, 
that's a little more difficult because it's more abstract because the bike rack itself it's really hard to split the bike rack from the piece of art because it's one and the same. Mm -hmm. But there is a work of authorship mm -hmm. in a bike rack. So are there opportunities that our inventors and idea generators uh, that they might be missing because of this uh, confusion? What, what sort of advice would you give to them? Well, I would say it's a total case-by-case -case basis as mm -hmm. to whether a product is going to fall under copyright law, going to fall as a design patent, mm -hmm. or both. Or both. And that both, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm drawing a Venn diagram, <laughs> that both is a little sliver. <laughs> there, that intersection is not very big. It's a very, very little sliver. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time, if something is falling under copyright law, it's not useful at all. Mm -hmm. And even a design patent requires some kind of usefulness mm -hmm. behind it. We're just filing for the ornamentation. Mm-hmm behind the product. Okay, so then here's a question from the world of the, like, like, the Again, think of it as mm -hmm. new, original, and ornamental design for a useful article of manufacture. That's how you really want to define that design patent. Mm -hmm. And the copyright is a, a work of authorship. But that's why the bike rack example to me is so helpful here. Mm -hmm. Because you can have abstract art have some kind of usefulness if, if that's what you're looking at. Yes. Because the bike rack can be abstract and you can still chain your bike to it. <laughs> right. That's right. So so there's that little sliver there, but that's mm -hmm. the exception. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why I talk about things like the lamp, because you can easily see in your head, all right, here's a statue, and then on top of that is a light bulb and a lampshade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you can easily like draw a line in your head. Okay, there's the statue, and then at some point the statue ends and the lamp begins. Okay. And what's above the statue, because it's just a light bulb, isn't going to fall under copyright law mm -hmm. because it's useful. It's a it's light. Mm -hmm. But under that falls under a copyright law because it's a work of authorship. I got it. I got it. Let's say, uh, again, one of our clients walks through the door. I have an idea. <laughs> this is where we start. <laughs> but in my world, I want to get into the minutia of uh, the different types of patents. Let's just, just kind of stick to this idea sure. of the design patent versus the quote unquote trademark or copyrights or copyright, as you've said. There is still prior art, something that would preclude one being able to, to patent that ornamental design okay. if it had already, quote unquote, been invented or it's already in the public domain and there are ways for it to get there and there's timing like one year if you own it, this sort of thing. But in the end of the day, the copyright can it itself be prior art against my design patent filing, um, in your opinion? It's one of those... Boy, you threw me a curveball. Thanks, Will. <laughs> um, I'd say that there's a chance of it happening. Mm -hmm. I don't know for sure if, the, if a patent examiner is going to be going through either books that, that have works of art or mm -hmm. the Library of Congress filings are huge. Huge. Mm -hmm. And... Even if, if you, as, say, a copyright owner or you as somebody who's looking to 
do research. If mm -hmm. you need copies of deposit materials mm -hmm. on a Library of Congress filing, they're going to charge you 200 bucks an hour yeah. for them to go into their archives. Yeah, yeah. So that's how the Library of Congress treats their archives. So I don't yeah. necessarily know yeah. if a patent examining attorney is going to find that. Mm -hmm. But from so personally, it's not something that I've ever seen or yeah. litigated. Mm -hmm. But I also want to sit here and say, well, why couldn't it be prior art? Because it's there for the public. Yeah, probably something for us to look at uh, for a, uh, a future talk with our audience. Uh, I think that's a good you know, idea. certainly kind of begs the question of our ability to help you with the business. And part of helping you with the business is a strategy for the IP that you do want to file and properly uh, budgeting, not just uh, resources of dollars, but resources of time, time as to when you do certain things to make sure that assuming that this can be prior art, you move that off the table and you get the, the greatest amount of IP protection possible. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Now, we have plenty of podcast episodes on trademarks, but that's what's next on the list. Yeah. Right. Here's a product. That product is going to be sold. Yes. <laughs> so yes. that means it has to be in the marketplace mm -hmm. and that means it has to be branded. Mm -hmm. And and uh, where a lot of people get a little bonkers on trademark law is talking about plucking words from the public domain and now it's no longer in the public domain. Mm -hmm. But trademark law is all about specific uses. Outside of some famous trademarks, it's really about the use of whatever word, phrase, logo, design, sometimes a color. We can get into that if you'd like. Yes. Sometimes a sound. <laughs> we can get into that if you'd like. Are used in relationship to certain goods or services. And so that means that what, however this product is going to be branded, however this company is going to be branded, and sometimes people come to us before a company is ever formed, and that's perfectly acceptable. Come to us as early as you can. Mm -hmm. Trademark law protects the branding of the product and company or whatever. And I always say, think of trademarks and branding the way that Pepperidge Farm would. And I say this, when you're in the store, go grab a box. In of, my case, two or three, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Grab a box of Pepperidge Farm cookies. And in these mixed boxes of Pepperidge Farm cookies, obviously you look at the back and it says Pepperidge Farm at the top. And it has lists all the cookies, whether it's Milano, Chesapeake, Chessman. I forget what else there is, but whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, it has seven or eight different types of, of cookies. Yes. Well, all of that are trademarks. So you have the trademark for the company, and then each product line is different. They're all cookies, yes. but each product line is a trademark. Whether or not it's registered is a different story, but they're all trademarks because it's all branded, it's all in the stream of commerce, and customers can create that relationship between the name and what the cookie is. And in this particular case, what the cookie shape is, what the cookie flavor is, yes. what the texture is, that's every, all of that needs to be a part of the business plan. And that's the part that I think trips up a lot of people is that, is that you want a brand that you can really 
just kind of think about every product line. That's mm-hmm. the key with a company, every product line. And I don't care if you do good, better, best philosophy mm-hmm. in your pricing and your product lines. I don't care if it's like Pepper's Farm and you've got cookies and all of these cookies might be a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, speaking of good, better, best, um, Snickers, Milky Way, Three Musketeers. Yes. That's not yes, necessarily, yes. <laughs> by the way, that's not necessarily a good, better, best kind of quality, mm-hmm. but Three Musketeers uh, is for children because it's the sweetest. Mm-hmm. Milky Way is less sweet. It was meant for teens and adults. Mm-hmm. And Snickers is the least sweetest and also has the nuts in there. So that reduces the sugar content as well. That was meant for adults. So again, every product line, different name. I'll have to check into that, Anthony. I, I thought Snickers were made for golfers. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see kids on the golf course? <laughs> <laughs> trademark law we're going to we're going to treat this very similarly to patents okay. we're going to do a trademark search just like we're going to do a patent search we're going to find out what registrations are there mm-hmm. we're going to see what applications are in the patent and trademark office we want to see what common law uses of this particular word or phrase are out there. Mm-hmm. If there is a red flag and that red flag says that there are plaintiffs that could have the ability to sue you and win, we're going to tell you about it. If there are yellow flags, we're going to tell you about those those yellow flags and we're going to say, here are your defenses and here's how you can work your way around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In today's world, Doing this trademark search, I think, is more important than ever because there's more data Mm -hmm. than ever. Mm -hmm. And there are more law firms ready to talk to their clients (laughs) than there have ever been. And, And there are tools galore for receiving trademark alerts to compare your client's trademarks to what is being filed and what's being registered and you you need to stay on top of that game in today's world yeah well i don't want to feel as though i'm being kind of left out of this conversation getting a little lonely over here <laughs> sorry uh, sorry uh, my friend but but you you said something that you know suggested to me that maybe i should still confer with the client that walks through the door saying, I have an idea and that idea, let's say we've already determined me go into the design patent law area. But when I look at trademarks, there is something else going on other than the name. And is there uh, some place within how one defines Mm -hmm. a trademark that potentially brings in what something looks like or the design of something? Is there any part of trademarks that deals with that? Well, absolutely. As I said, in, in, in the earlier list. Trademarks can include color. Mm-hmm. Trademarks can include sounds. And and let me sing for you. <clears throat> NBC. How'd I do? Very good. Thank you. Yeah. That is a sound trademark. That is a sound that, trademark. Exactly. And that's developed early on back when they, they played those chimes as, as a way of actually telling their affiliates when a program is actually is beginning or ending a, ne- a network program seriously uh, from the radio trademarks can be shapes now yes. sometimes we've we, this falls under trademark law sometimes this falls under what we call trade dress law okay let's explain the difference a little bit trade dress law is all about packaging 
for a product. Mm-hmm. It's all about the ability for consumers to look at packaging and understand it's a that's what the product is. The difference between trademark and trade dress law is that trademark is about the branding and trade dress really is about the packaging. Now, mm-hmm. we can have mm-hmm. non-traditional trademarks like the shape of a product. And if you try to make a chocolate product in the shape of a triangle, I'm pretty sure the Toblerone people are going to be coming right after oh, you. Yes. And in today's world, I would say traditionally that would fall under trade dress law because we're mm-hmm. talking about packaging in the mm-hmm, shape of a product. Mm-hmm. But it's registered as a trademark here in the United States. Very interesting. Almost kind of, it, it brings to mind the Tropicana carton, juice carton, in which there were utility patents uh, filed mm-hmm. because certainly it was able to perform in a different sure. way. But at the same time, there were design patents that were filed uh, on those inventions, on that the, packaging as well, because it looked so different the, than anything else that, that was on the market. What I would say is um, look at the fact that Coke and Pepsi have very differently shaped bottles. Yeah. Yes, okay. I'm sure Pepsi has registered the shape of its bottle. Mm-hmm. I certainly know Coke has registered the shape yes, of its yeah. bottles. Yes. <laughs> trade dress law is about the packaging. Mm-hmm. It relates to trademark law because in today's world, we've started to accept things that were traditionally trade dress, like shapes of bottles, mm-hmm. shapes of containers, shapes of products, and allowed them to be registered as trademarks. Mm-hmm in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So is this a reasonable intersection of uh, the work that you're doing, trade dress and design patents? Oh, well, 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 absolutely. Well, I mean, if something is trade dress, it can be registered in the Patent and Trademark Office. Absolutely. Absolutely. The question with trade dress... Do I need both? Maybe that's the question we should be answering for our our client. It's a hard question to answer Mm -hmm. because, frankly... If somebody says, do I need a patent, do I need a copyright, do I need a trademark? The answer to all of these questions is yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. From a selfish uh, perspective, the answer is yes. From a realistic perspective, the Mm -hmm. answer is no, you don't need any of that. But if you put a product out there and somebody else bigger than you with better manufacturing than you mm-hmm. is able to make it more cheaply than you, mm-hmm. you're not protected. Right. If somebody starts making knockoffs using your brand, it's, you know, if it's not registered, it's not as protected as if you are registered. Mm-hmm. You have a higher burden to go in, in federal court. Yeah. Um, if somebody is making copies of your artistic work, and you haven't registered it, you don't even get to step into federal court until you register it. So so this isn't necessarily a a need Mm -hmm. the way, say, car insurance is a need. But if you're looking to build a successful business, Your patents need to be protected, your trademarks need to be registered, your copyrights need to be registered. Else your ability to stop others from creating your works, from using your brand and and selling them. Let me give you a quick example because we are running a little longer than than, than usual, but, but it's only a couple minutes. But let me give a quick example. We've got a toy client 
and copyrights are filed, the trademarks are filed, foreign trademarks are filed. We're currently in the in the middle of doing trademarks and copyrights in the People's Republic of China because, of course, that's where the products are, are made. Mm-hmm. We've already had a, an anti-counterfeiting lawsuit for that client. We've had an infringement, a copyright infringement uh, lawsuit for that client because of a, a similar looking design. And that's the kind of protection that you want as a part of a business. You want to be able to to walk into court and say, all right, look, they're infringing. You know, either we take this all the way or we settle. And that's what you want in order to keep your business going. And I can't recall how many cease and desist letters I've sent out for this particular client. That's what you need from a business. You want that ability to get others out of your way on the parts of, of your business that really, truly belong to you. So on that particular note... I think we're going to call it. Yeah, that was that was excellent. Thank Learn, you, sir. Learned, learned a few things. Good. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad. And for everyone else listening, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe. Listen to all of our back episodes. Well, maybe not episode one, two, or three, but please listen <laughs> to all the back episodes. Yes. And we will come to you again very soon. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks. Thanks, Will. All righty, Anthony. This has been the Law & Business Podcast. Visit VernaLaw.com for more episodes. To contact VernaLaw PC, send an email to Anthony at VernaLaw.com or call 914-358-6401.